You may not be aware of this, but today marks the 38th year of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Those verses are very appropriate for today, but they are so much more than just simply recognizing Sanctity of Human Life Day. It was on January the 22nd, 1984, that the 40th President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, made a presidential decree declaring that the third Sunday of January be National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Ronald Reagan logically stated these famous words. He said, abortion is only advocated by persons who have themselves been born. Think about that. Abortion is only advocated by those persons who have themselves been born. It is on this day where advocates of human sanctity bring recognition to the outright assaults that are daily waged against life through abortion. This is the day today where it is more than just a recognition of unborn lives. It is also all that surrounds the protecting of life itself. From the unborn to the elderly, or we might say from the womb to the tomb, and all those in between. You might ask yourself, what part do I play in this as a child of God representing Christ? According to a recent poll taken in 2018, the total number of abortions in the United States from 1973 to 2018 was 61.8 million. Number of abortions in the United States in 2017, as it was recorded, was 862,320. Let's follow that. That's 2,362 abortions per day. That's 98 abortions per hour. And if you do your math correctly, I'm not a mathematician, so if you want to crush numbers, by all means. Do the math correctly. You have one abortion every 96 seconds. In 2021 through 22, there is a recorded 886,677 abortions recorded. As Karl Barth, who is or was the father of neo-Orthodox theology, Rightly said, abortion is the great modern sin. Now today's sermon will deal with this modern problem of murder. And it will deal with the misplacing or misappropriating human rights. But will also deal with the bottom shelf easy access to the dignity that we have as God's 
creation. As it is, at the very core of taking the innocent, unborn life is, at the very core of it, is a misplacing and a misappropriating human rights. To give you the tone of the anti-theist, the anti-Christ mentality of the world, I want you to listen to a quote by a biologist by the name of Peter Singer. Peter Singer said, I want you to listen close to this quote. He said, and I quote, The life of a newborn baby is of less value than of a pig or a chimpanzee. Peter Singer has used a baby with Down syndrome as an example of justifiable measures to take their life. He actually supports the taking of a life, of an infant's life, because babies, whether disabled or not, are, in his view, not persons at all. And would go on as a person is advanced in age and near their, near their death would have that same thought. If they are not useful to society according to to ones like Singer and those in the world, they would say their life is of no value to humankind. In fact, Peter Singer would go on to, to say that the life of a bald eagle is more important than the life in the world. And by the way, that is not what God's Word says, is it? God's Word reminds us that in Genesis 1.26, very known verse, well known, where God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And there is a sad state of the world today where there is this narcissistic, self-absorbed idea that the taking of a human life is of no value or importance to society. But then again, we shouldn't be surprised. If we live in a sinful and broken world, and if that sinfulness and wickedness runs its course, we find ourselves the modern-day problem like we face today. Why do you think it is so important that Jesus said, go and make disciples? Why do you think it's so important that Jesus said to go to your Jerusalem, your Samaria, Judea, Judea. Why do you think it's so important that the Great Commission still be our goal today? Now I want us to turn to God's Word for our hope in this lost and dying world, this world of uncertainty. And I want to turn to God's Word today to give us hope and to give us strength. Now, with our Bibles still open to Psalm 139, I want to examine this idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made. I'll submit to you that the Lord knows you. You believe that? Whether or not you believe it, He knows you. I remember sitting in the home of a, of a dear saint of the Lord. I remember sitting in this home, and this person had questions about their worth. They had questions, particularly one question. Why am I still 
here? Why does God still have me here? I don't feel that I am worth anything anymore. And I remember opening God's Word. The Psalm 139 and verse 14. That displays a God who is wonderful over a creation that He has made. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And until we draw our last breath, we have purpose. So, let's further this discussion. Let's further these words together in God's word that the Lord knows you. Verse 1 says this. The psalmist writes to the choir master as the psalm of David. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This psalm is rightfully attributed to King David. It appears that David is writing this particular psalm in respect to adversity and to the enemies that have surrounded him on every side. This adversity has plagued him and some of the plight that is due to King David is by his own hand. It is consequences of sin by his own hand, but he's crying out to the Lord saying, you have searched me and you have known me. He's crying out to, to the Lord. He cries out to God Almighty to judge the wicked and to those that have surrounded him by saying in verse 19, all that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me, he says. Have you ever thought how awesome it is to know that God, the Lord of all creation, has investigated you and knows you. That's really the, the term, has investigated. Even in the places when we think that our deepest and darkest sin will not meet the light of day. God knows you. Now, of course, David is using accommodating language. As John Calvin would call this language, baby talk. God is using accommodating language. Of course God doesn't have to investigate you. God doesn't have to search you for some knowledge that he isn't privy to. No, God knows all. And the thought behind this is not so much about the power of God, but pointing more towards the intimacy of God with David or with you and I. The wording that is used here is like somebody boring or digging. I believe that God wants to know you and you him. I, I remember hearing preachers growing up, and sometimes I'll still hear this. Now, this, I guess it's an appropriate question to ask, saying, do you know the Lord? Do you know him? Do you know him today? Do not turn him away, as the song says. But you know the better question. Does God know you? Does God know you? In this intimate way in which King David is speaking, uh, it's not so much about the power of God as it is towards the intimacy of God with his people. With, with this recognition of the watchful eye of God, nothing is hidden from him. Not our motives, 
Not our sin. Nothing. In fact, the word that you find here, if you have particularly particular to a translation that you might have, you might have the word searched. And in this word searched, it's a primary referencing to someone digging or boring into the earth. Digging or finding something. By the way, God doesn't have to dig or find it. He's all knowing. But, here's the thing. We like to store our deepest, darkest secrets down in the recesses of our mind and in our heart as if God will not know them. We tuck them away. The dark corners of our life where nobody knows about. David reminds us that he, God knows. In fact, the phraseology in this verse has expressed the thought that nothing is hidden from from God, I, I think of the terminology that what is what is hid in the house, what is hid will be shouted or proclaimed on the rooftop. The psalmist stresses the fact that God examines him and knows his every thought. In fact, the very rudimentary things of life, the very simplest, the simplest things of life, God knows and God wants to invest in your life. He wants to, he wants to invest in every aspect of your life. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path, my lying down, and you are acquainted with my ways. He even knows the most basic actions of your life. He knows when you go to bed. He knows when you wake up. He even knows your thoughts. And David says this, you know when I rest and when I am active. You understand what I am thinking even when I am distant from you. And the thought here is this. Even when I am rolling and reveling in sin, even when I am not walking close and clean to the Lord, you even know my thoughts and my motives there. When I am afar from you, God, you know my thoughts. You know my motives. He knows my motives, whether or not I am faulty, in my thinking, he knows if I am unchristlike. Proverbs reminds us in chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. So here's a thought. There are people in your life where you are very close with, you know very well. You know the things that they like and you can speak on their behalf. If the need ever arose, husbands and wives, hopefully, you know each other well enough to where you might finish each other's sentences. Brothers and sisters, likewise, you know what the other one is thinking. You know what they like. In fact, you might have a close friend who's so close that you could go into a department store and say, well, they would like this and buy that for them and they would love it. Husbands, not so much when you're looking for clothes. Just a piece of advice here. When you're looking for clothes from your wife, You know what one another is thinking. See, there's a difference between the Lord we serve and other relationships that we have in life. Because the Lord is near to us to help us grow in Him and then to represent the Son of God well as ambassadors. God wants us to represent His Son well. See, the Lord is more than just an acquaintance. He is more than 
a temporary friend. It was once said of this, of acquaintances versus relationship by a person by the name of Calgary Bob M. Edwards. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Calgary Bob Edwards said this, the difference between a friend and an acquaintance is that a friend helps. An acquaintance merely advises. And that's the beauty of it. The Word of God is not here simply for us to take advice from the Word. There are great teachers the world over who can take the Word of God, who can unpack God's Word, and it's just simply information done. But God wants us to take His Word that is more than just in, in, uh, information and live it out in our lives. It, it is to show that we can live out the Word because He knows us and He wants to lead and guide us through life. Psalm 121 and verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. The question is, where does my help come from? The answer and response is, well, my help comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He will not sleep. He will not slumber. We sleep, we slumber, we rest, but God doesn't. He knows our rising and our resting. He slumbers not, we are reminded in verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't it amazing, even in our prayer requests, we pray as if God is sleeping or on sleep mode and we have to wake him up. God, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but so-and-so has cancer. Or we don't know if you know this or not, but this whole family has COVID and Lord, we didn't know if you knew this or not. Even in our prayers, we act like God is asleep on the job. Verse 4. Let's read the rest of these verses together and get the tone until we find ourselves in verse 4. Even before a word was on my tongue, behold, the Lord, O oh Lord, you know it all together. On Wednesday nights, we have a time of prayer meeting. We will take the book of Daniel. We're taking the book of Daniel, working through the book of Daniel. In fact, I invite you, if you, if you can, Wednesday night to come. This is, this is so integral to the life and health of the church, to dig in God's Word and to study God's Word together. But we also spend time in prayer. We take a prayer list and we'll go down the prayer list. We'll add or we'll, praise the Lord, take some away from that prayer list. But you know that God knows our prayer requests before we even form it on our tongue. You know that God knows our request before it even forms in our mind. And so this captures the essence of what David is saying. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. You hem me in from behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And the idea is that God Almighty has, has circled us in as his people. Now, you advance that to the cross of Calvary and the privilege that we have on this side of Calvary. What an amazing demonstration of God's grace that is. The idea is that God has hemmed us and protected us in. Now, all my boys growing up, every one of my boys growing up, when it was, they got a certain age when they were, when they, when they were getting ready, we were getting ready to tuck them into bed. Uh, they wanted to be wrapped up in a blanket. And their words were, make me a taco. Wrap me up like a burrito and 
to, 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 to hem me in, to wrap me in. And that is exactly the thought here, that God himself has wrapped us in his protective care and his hand is upon us. Such knowledge, the psalmist says, David, is, is too wonderful for me to get my head around. It's too high. It's hard for me to understand that the same God whose hands, his anthropomorphic hands, have shaped the world and made the trees and, the, and made the ground and made the stars. And the psalmist says, has flicked the very stars into place by his fingertips is the same God whose hands has him us in. And I blow your mind. It's too hard for me to think about this and accurate, accurately come to a full understanding of this. I cannot obtain it. It's out of my realm of knowledge. Then he says in verse 7 with some rhetorical questions, where should I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? And by the way, that answer is nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I make my bed, if I lie with the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the, of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand, even in the deepest, deepest trenches of the ocean, where no man has ever cast eye, the presence of God will be there too. Even your hand is there. And even there, there your hand shall lead me, and your hand, your right hand, shall uphold me. If I say, surely, the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not, is not dark to you, God. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Here is the God who sees the beginning to the end in all one scope. God sees the beginning and the end, eternity past, eternity future, in all one moment in time. We were talking about this on, in our a small group, thinking about this in this way. Not only does God see the beginning and the end and everything in between, God has seen all possible scenarios of, of the world played out. Every single scenario that would ever come about. God would be able to see it. Whether this person got in a crash or not. God played out every scenario. That is a mind-blowing idea. To think that God not only, not only sees the beginning and the end, but every single scenario in the world played out in every situation. But the question is, who is fearful and who is wonderful? Who is fearful? And who, is, and who is wonderful? Let's look at these next verses together and close it. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Again, we reminding you that we are speaking about the dignity that we have as human beings created in the image and likeness of God. And that God, at our conception, has formed us, our organs, the intricacies of the human body, the human eye, 
Every organ we have, the heart, the liver, everything that we have, our skin, our fingerprints, everything that God has created in humanity is a testament to Him. It demonstrates the image of God. He says, you have knitted me or protected me in my mother's womb. You do, do you think that the Lord sees the unborn child as His and protects them? And there's dignity even there at conception? In fact, He says in verse 14, I praise you, David praises him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, may I remind you that the psalmist is not praising the Lord simply to boast in the creation of human beings. To say, well, look how this creation that you have made, look how perfect it is. We know that as human beings, we are far from perfect. Can I get an amen? amen? He is not boasting in the way of humanity itself, or even the creation. But he is boasting in the way, he is boasting in the way that reflects the magnificence of a God who creates with excellence, especially human beings. In fact, there are some translations that read in a different way. You might have one of these translations that read in a different way. Some translations read, And I praise you because of the wonderful ways you created me. Another translation says, I praise you because you are fearful and wondrous. Your work is wonderful. Right? So which is it? Is it that human beings are fearfully and wonderful? Or is it that God Almighty is the fearful and wonderful one? I believe that this last verse captures the truth of the psalmist best. The reality that God knows and cares for children in the womb implies that God's concern for life begins at conception. It means that God's people, that you and I, have a responsibility to also know and to care for children in the womb and for all those in God's creation. Again, from the womb to the tomb. And I believe that, that to answer that, it's a bit of both. That us being created in the image of God, as fearfully and wonderfully made, reflects a wonderful and fearful creation. Now, Charles Hadd Spurgeon wrote these words on the wonder in the tomb. I like the way, and I would consider Charles Spurgeon to be a wordsmith. Someone called him the prince of preachers, a genius as it is in terms of homiletics or preaching. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words on the wonder in the womb. Listen to what he says. The psalmist had scarcely peered within the veil which hides the nerves, blood vessels, from common inspection. The science of anatomy was quite unknown to him, and yet he had seen enough to arouse his admiration of the work and his reverence for the worker. David said, Wonderful are your works. 
The intricacies of the human body reflect a great and benevolent creator. And I would submit to you that every human being born, regardless of color, regardless of, of race, bear the image of their creator. If a child is born into this world and has what the world calls a handicap, they are still wonderfully made. Amen. I was thinking, what if the physical birth was a precursor to the spiritual birth? Again, quoting from Charles Spurgeon, Listen to the way that he weaves this tapestry. He says, if we are marvelously wrought upon, even before we are born, what shall we say of the Lord's dealings with us after we quit his secret workshop? Being that we are born, the workshop of God, the womb. What do we do after we quit his secret workshop and he directs our pathway through the pilgrimage of life? What shall we not say of that new birth, which is even more mysterious than the first and exhibits even more love and wisdom of the Lord? Shall we stand here and declare that God honors and values the sanctity of all human life? All life from the womb that, it, that is born and live out their life and negate to speak of the new birth in Christ. Jesus said these famous words to Nicodemus. In John 3 and verse 3. Jesus answering Nicodemus says, Truly, truly, or verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, or born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, then Nicodemus said, obviously having spiritual blinders on, he said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very, very, or truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit. I pray that every pulpit in America today that is highlighting the truth that God loves and God cares for all life, values and there's dignity in all life, will also likewise stand and reflect upon the new birth that we have in Christ Jesus as Christ follows. See, although the conception of human life is a beautiful reflection of God's creation and His power to sustain and to keep. The rebirth is just as beautiful, if not more so. Traditionally, Christ followers have, have taken up the mantle, have taken up the, the banner of protecting human life from the womb to the tomb, as it is. But something is a stink in the land of Christendom. Something is amiss amongst churches who name the name of Christ. Something is amiss because there are many heretical, and I would call heretical churches, who call themselves Christian in title alone, who are advocate of taking the life 
of the unborn. In 2014, the University of Michigan paid $1,000 to pro-choice artist Heather Alt, who delivered a presentation, and her presentation was entitled, 4,000 Years of Choice Collection. One piece in particular in this collection declared that, listen to this, abortion is a gift from God. Now, how anti-gospel can you be than to make a statement such as that? How antithetical to the gospel can you be than to make a statement such as that? And this should, in your seat, give you pause to gasp. How dare she? But then again, if we follow the trajectory of sin and brokenness, we find this is where we find ourselves at. It should not surprise you there. But how about a person who claims to be a Christian? How about a person who claims to be a Christ follower? How about that? How about that organization? I read an article not long ago that marked seven denominations who support or advocate abortion. And you would say, Pastor, are you really going to name those denominations in the pulpit today? And the answer to that is, yes, I am. And those seven denominations that support or are an ally to the abortion mills across this world are as such. The United Church of Christ, the Unitarian Universalist Association, surprise, surprise there, the Metropolitan Community Church, Presbyterian Church USA, Evangelical Lutheran Church, Christ Church, a branch of the Assembly of God, and the United Methodist Church. Now, some of these churches are taking a stance on abortion in certain uh, medical terms, such as if it is a choice between the mother or the child. Uh, but regardless of that stance, they have advocated that they themselves are an advocate of, of abortion. And if, if I was a member of those churches or a church that advocated such a stance, I believe that I would be looking over my shoulder at any time for the wrath of Almighty God to come crashing down. In fact, I believe that the 63 plus million Abortions in the world since 1973 should give us pause to look over our shoulder, shouldn't it? Now, those also entangled in progressive Christianity, which has recently come upon the horizon of Christendom, those in progressive Christianity, which is just a, a modern-day liberal church, when a person in a church or a church as a general or an assembly starts taking up the mantle of advocating the killing of the innocent or degrading those of advanced age, when that church begins to take up the mantle of demeaning the innocent, they are no longer a church. Now, there are other things that would mark them as not being a church such as, such as other doctrinal issues, but at the very core, the very base of a church is taking up the mantle of advocating and thinking of a human life. They have disqualified themselves. So the Lord reveals to the psalmist, God's creation of humankind is wonderful because 
They represent a wonderful and fearful God. Now, I will tell you this in closing. There are many challenges that, faces, that face the church today, advocating or protecting human life. For one, I will say that this is not a political agenda. Okay? This is not a right, this is not a left political agenda. It's not even anywhere in between. This is not a political agenda. This is not a political issue. This is a gospel issue. This is a biblical issue. And there might be some today who would say, Preacher, you're teetering on a political view. No. It's not a political view. It is a biblical view. It is a gospel view. It is a gospel issue. So for many of us today, uh, this advocacy will be directed to all people. Reaching out to those in our community who are seniors, those who are uh, older in age, those who might find themselves in nursing homes, or those who can't, if you will, fend for themselves like they, they used to. For, so for us as a church body, it might be for us that we might need to step up there and to say, God loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in His image. God loves you. And so do I. To love those people in our community. And if it be the case, you would want to say, hey, I think we need to go to some of these pregnancy centers who are Christ-affiliated, uh, Christ and we need to get our hands in there. If you want to do that, too, we have tools that you can do that, too. we got information that you can get engaged with that, too. I know some people. To reach out to our children. We love our children. Do we love our youth? Do we love our students? Do we know that they are made in the image and likeness of God? But then we are to show the love of Jesus by nurturing them in their faith. It's important that we value the being that God has created. And yet, as they are new in Christ, to show the love and value them, to show that we love them by discipling them. What is the greatest way that a church can show that we love our people, we love our students, we love our seniors, we love our young adults, and everybody in between, is that we disciple them. God created us in His image and in His likeness. And that spirit still carries on as we bear now the image of Jesus as being reborn, born from above, born anew. He knows us. Listen. He knows us. He loves us. He protects us. And praise be to God. If you know Him today, He saved you. Amen. Let's pray together.